Hello, everyone. It's Mike Stewart for the Tommy Rowe Podcast, and welcome to the Tommy Rowe Podcast here at TommyRowePodcast.com. From Cabbage Town to Tinseltown and places in between, Chapter 2, Segment 2, Every Hyphen is a Line of Segregation. incredibly happy to have grown up during the period in American history when I did. In my opinion, it may well have been, in far too many ways, the end of the innocence. Throughout the majority of my youth, the media was dominated by radio. Television was still a work in progress. Most families didn't even have a TV set, which was just as well, since there were very few television stations in the South. Ted Turner was still a child. His superstation was a couple of decades away. So for me, my life was dominated by creative play that may well have sparked my inner imagination in all ways. Radio was still the dominant form of entertainment in the evenings when I was growing up. I also mentioned that our family was musical, and so sitting around playing music on Saturday night like you see portrayed on television shows or in the movies was also really the way it was on select evenings. But more times than not, we'd settle down to listen to our favorite radio shows like The Lone Ranger and Arthur Godfrey. I vaguely remember hearing the war reports, though being only a little past my third birthday at the time, victory was declared. I don't remember clearly what was being reported. I just remember my family gathered around the radio to hear the latest information. As I said, radio was the thing. If Walter Winchell, Paul Harvey, or Ed Murrow said it, it was 100% accurate. To illustrate the power of the media at that time, as many of you may recall, at least through historical perspective, Orson Welles used the airwaves to wreak havoc on the country with his War of the Worlds broadcast in 1938. Well, in Atlanta, we had our own alien invasion that perhaps not so many outside of the area have even heard about. Again, it was completely a fabrication, but the media reported it as fact, and so we all believe the tale told by three young men. Based on reports from the previous evening that many people in Marietta had seen a large cone-like object circling over the city, three college kids decided to create their own visitor from another planet by shaving a monkey and then running over him with their pickup truck. Where they got the monkey, heaven knows. Guess they took to the movie Bedtime for Bonzo. Anyway, the story they told to the police was that they had swerved to miss a group of aliens and accidentally hit one. The remaining aliens then immediately jumped into their spaceship and flew off. As incredible as this story might sound, the media decided it had every bit of the ring of authenticity and began running with it. It was truly the talk of Atlanta for quite some time, until finally it was revealed that the whole thing was a hoax, concocted as part of a bet one of the boys had made during a card game at his fraternity house. The wager was that he could get himself featured in the local newspaper. The fine for the false report was probably more than the ten bucks he won on the bet. But the point here is that the media was quite powerful back in the day and could in fact influence a lot of people to believe just about anything. As I think about it today, I realize how much the world changed in the last half of the 20th century. 
It's incredible when you think about it. We went from a blind world to one where everything was visually brought into the living room. We went from hues of black and white to those of vivid color and yet settled for shades of gray in the final decade. We grew in ways no one outside of Jules Verne and his ilk would have dared to predict. Science fiction became science fact. However, with change came the added responsibility of knowing what to do with it. I know the question and the debate will never end regarding one other element of life in the U.S. Given the increase in violence over the past few years, I will address it here because it was a very common part of growing up where I did. And yet, in my youth, things like those happening on a daily basis today were unheard of. In the South at that time, everyone indeed owned a gun. No, not so many thought of it as a means of protection, and even fewer saw it as a weapon to gain a measure of revenge. Though as I do think back, the fact that everyone had a gun may well have kept the peace throughout most of the neighborhoods like the one I was raised in. As has been well documented, and I'm sure many of you know, Georgia today still has one of the most liberal gun laws in the country. Guns were and are a way of life. But, and this is a big but, they also have attached to them a great deal of responsibility. We respected firearms. I also think that in many ways the glamorization and the numbing of perspectives by the movie industry as well as the makers of video games may well be the reason attitudes seem to have changed. But that is not my argument to make. Let's just say things have changed dramatically. When I was young, we used guns for sport. Hunting was an activity almost everyone seemed to have an interest in. Being outdoors was always wonderful, whether we played games, hunted, or fished. In some instances, such activities were the best way to put meat of some sort on the table to go along with the cabbage. But the time spent immersed in such activities was always a special time. For most today, fishing means going to the supermarket and buying seafood already caught, cleaned, and in some cases, filleted. For me, however, it meant going to the source, not the store. Back then, catfish was abundant in the lakes and streams of North Georgia and one of the main sources of protein for our family. My uncle Ernest loved to fish, and he would often take me with him to his favorite fishing hole. He just knew where the fish were, and we always seemed to catch our limit. I have to say, however, even though the fishing may have been fun, I ate so much catfish as a child that today the very thought of seeing one makes me gag. Yet the memories we made together have lasted a lifetime. In fact, those memories eventually found a home in my recording career. The title song of my last album release for ABC Paramount Records in 1971, Beginnings, was written about my fond memories of the fishing trips with Uncle Ernest. Here I will recite the lyrics. My beginnings still linger in the corners of my mind. My beginnings, a place, a younger face, another time. When I was a small boy, growing up in the north of Georgia. Uncle Ernest would take me, fishing out in the lake. We'd come home in the evening and clean the fish so Aunt Nell could cook them. All the family'd be waiting to help us eat what we caught. 
My beginnings still linger in the corners of my mind. My beginnings, a place, a younger face, another time. Yes, it was a different place in time for sure. Most kids today are fixated on immediacy and the gratification therein, so they probably think activities such as sitting by a stream waiting for a catfish to nip at your bait must be tedious. We didn't have smartphones to call or text people while we waited for the fish to bite. We didn't whine while we sat waiting for a covey of quail to fly overhead. We did things I don't think kids today can imagine. We would talk. Fathers and sons, uncles and nephews would bond. It was an important part of every relationship. I am so thankful that I had that time with my family and my dad. These are some of the cherished memories I've carried throughout my life. I sincerely believe those moments were the ones that gave me the family values that I have today. I do want to say something about my father here. During these times, we did a lot of father-son bonding, and yet by today's standards, there are those who would label my father as an abusive father. No, not because he made me sit by the river for several hours while he regaled me with tales of his youth. You know the kind of stories, I'm sure. Stories like how he had to walk through eight feet of snow every morning at 3.30 to deliver wood for the wood-burning stove that his mother would fire up to cook the breakfast for the whole family before they headed off to work at the sawmill. I always knew he was exaggerating. It couldn't have been more than six feet of snow. We live in a world filled with labels. As it was with segregation, it was with discipline in the home. Certain things were just the way it was, and my father was never one to let mistakes in judgment go without some form of strong, clear consequences. Does that mean he was a terrible father? Of course not. Does it mean his approach was the correct approach to parenting? That is subject to interpretation, most certainly. But let me tell you, if you take the time to put the pieces together, though everyone had a gun... No one ever went to school and used a weapon to commit any violent act. So believe what you want. But just know this, you'll never hear anything but praise from me for my parents. However, on the whole, those days were fleeting and soon would be over. We didn't realize when they left that they wouldn't be back. We thought life was perfect. And yet, there were those who looked to the future and sincerely believed that life could be better. And so we reinvented the wheel. It was not only the case in everyday life, but also in the world of music as well. The first king was still driving a truck and studying to be an electrician. He had just cut a record for his mother's birthday in a small studio in Memphis, Tennessee. In the eyes of many, all hell was about to break loose. What happened to the bop and the stroll and the ponytail and all the penny loafers? What happened to the Hollywood that we used to know when all the stars had chauffeurs? It's all over but the clear and clean and the good old rock and roll. We can still hear a guitar scream 
hope you enjoyed this episode of the Tommy Rowe Podcast. Uh, be sure to tell your friends, share us in social media. More importantly, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast uh, in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Um, we want to let uh, all of Tommy's fans know what's going on, and this is a great way to do it. Uh, visit TommyRowePodcast.com to see links to things uh, that Tommy is offering, like his new album, uh, Tommy Rowe Meets Barefoot Jerry, plus all of the opportunities to get his music in CD Baby and iTunes. And until next time, this is Mike Stewart for Tommy Rowe and TommyRowePodcast.com. Sweet little Sheila, you know her if you see her.